0: This is God's word for God's children this morning. So I want you to notice what what prompts this discussion is an expert in the law comes up to Jesus to test him. He wasn't asking Jesus for advice or counsel or insight. He was trying to test, or some, some versions say, trap Jesus, trying to catch Jesus in an era. This wasn't a humble inquiry. This was an expert evaluation that Jesus was being subject to. Because, see, Jesus was a great problem for the teachers of the law because Jesus was this very religious man, this very spiritual man who did all these good things and had this insightful teaching. But the thing they didn't get about him is he also hung out with the wrong kinds of people. You know, we sing a song... Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Some of you might have heard that song, that's actually a Bible verse, but it wasn't a comp, you know, we sing it as a, as a, as a praise song, like, thank, thank Jesus, he's such a, a friend for sinners, but it was originally meant as an insult. Like, what is wrong with this guy? He's a friend of sinners. He welcomes tax collectors and, and eats with them. And that was one of the things that, to the experts in the law, was a sign that Jesus was not legit, that he wasn't faithful, that he wasn't wasn't the right kind of person. And so this expert in law is trying to to nail Jesus down. He's trying to catch Jesus. He's trying to set a a trap for him. And Jesus flips the script on him. And he, he says, well, you're an expert in the law, so you tell me. What does the law say? And the expert in law gives give the quick answer. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that's a standard answer. That was a standard expert in law answer. In fact, that comes up several times in Jesus' discussions. Jesus is always bringing them back to that because that's, that's the basic, the basic principles of the Older Testament. And, and so he was correct. And Jesus says, okay, good. We're in agreement then. I, I believe that's what we should do, and you believe that's what we should do, so just do this and we should live. But the guy couldn't let him go. You know, this expert in the law thought maybe just a little bit too much. He realizes that if you really think about it, loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself is much more than anyone we know actually does it's a high aspiration it's a completely reasonable command if god is god we should love him with everything we have and if if we're called to respect our neighbors we should love them as we love ourselves it's completely reasonable but completely impossible and and uh you know i mean just think about these things from for a moment what does it mean to love god with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength well some people have put it this way where does your mind go when you have nothing to think about? When you when you're free to let your mind wander, do you always go to the beauty and glory and excellency of God and think about how much you love Him, instead of worrying about stuff or just uh, uh, you know surfing through the internet or whatever, thinking about what the next uh, where you want to move next or or what the the job listings look like, but. If, you know, if we loved God, our minds would naturally be drawn to thinking about Him, to, to reflecting on Him. And, uh, you know, or another way to say it would be, what if you lost everything that this world has to offer, everything that your life has right now, everything you've worked so hard to accomplish, but you still had God? Would you be okay with that? Would you be able to just uh, accept that and roll with that? You know, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then losing everything really wouldn't cause you to miss too much of a beat, right? Because you'd still have Him. Well, let's think about loving your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, I think it means to be committed to meeting the needs of others with the same alacrity that we meet our own needs. Have you noticed that when you're cold, any of you have been cold in the last week? (laughs) But when you're cold, what do we always do? you know, have you ever sat in the cold and said, you know, I'm, I'm cold, but I hate myself, so I'm just going to be cold? <laughs> no, you, you know, we seek we seek warmth. Or when you're thirsty, you don't say, I'm cold, but I don't really care about myself, so I'm not going to have a drink. You know, you almost can't stop, can't do anything until, until you get some liquid in you. So we're very committed, all of us are very committed to meeting our own needs, but it's a little harder for us to, to give that same attention to the needs of, of others. And, you know, even, you know, sometimes people say, but I hate myself. But what we really mean when you say you hate yourself is you hate something about yourself. Maybe you hate your hair or your lack thereof. You hate your, your nose or your face or something like that. And, and, and that, that particular aspect of yourself is keeping your whole self from becoming what you want it to be because everybody loves themselves. Even our acts of self-destruction are actually acts of self-love under uh, real dysfunctional guise. And so to love our neighbor as ourselves is to have the same empathy and care and concern and compassion on our neighbors, on the people around us, as we do for ourselves. Martin Luther King put it this way, I don't ask what will happen to me if I help this person, I've got to ask what will happen to them if I don't help them. And that's the essence of that. And, and you know, that, that's one of those rules that almost everybody can agree on. Even people who don't believe in God can say, well, that's a good, a good rule to live, to live by. That's a good principle to live by. But it, the only problem with it is none of us actually do it. So Jesus traps this guy in his own words. He asks him what the law says, and the guy says, and he says, well, okay, just do that and you'll be fine. And uh, so he traps this guy, but then the guy starts to struggle. He wants to escape. And so it says he wants to justify himself. And so he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? And, you know, what we all do, we're all looking for a path to self-justification. In fact, I think the whole human project is the project of trying to figure out how to justify ourselves. And what I mean by that, well, you know, justification, it's, it's really a convenient word. This is like the only time this happens in all of the English language and theology. But the word justify means exactly the same thing in modern American English usage as it means technically and theologically. And so let me explain what I mean by that. To, to justify something is not to change its nature, but it's simply or merely to change its status. So let me give you an example. Like, uh, say, say uh, I was supposed to meet with one of you, and I'm, I'm coming to your house to meet with you, and you know, it's a pastoral visit, and I said I'd be there at 7, and I'm not there at 7, I'm not there at 7.30, but then at 8 o'clock, I, I roll in and I don't have any explanation. Um, you'd say, well, this guy's kind of inconsiderate or, you know, he, he just isn't respecting my time or maybe he's just really disorganized and you'd probably be right about all of those things. <laughs> but but imagine if uh, if the real story was that while I was was all set at 6.45, I was heading towards your place for the meeting and and then on the side of the road, I saw someone who had been hit by a car and ended up. Uh, getting out and helping them and bringing them to the hospital and making sure they were okay and giving a statement to the authorities and it was only then that I arrived at your house and was able to help you out then you'd say well the reason he was late isn't because he's inconsiderate and disorganized but because he's just such a generous giving person you know so 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 what happens there is is it changes from you know the 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 nature of the case doesn't change you're still late but the status of that changes you're not late because you're not late because you're disorganized and incompetent you're late because you stopped to help someone because you're generous and caring and compassionate see see how that works but that's what we do when we justify things we say well it is what it is but it means something different than we think. And, you know, self-justification is really in an essence of the human project. And so for the Jews, the experts of the law in Jesus' day, what they did is they took a rule like, well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They took those laws and then they broke them down into hundreds and hundreds of little rules that explained exactly what it meant to comply with this obligation. And so this this expert in the law is trying to do that a little bit with Jesus. So he's like, okay, love your neighbor as yourself, but who is my neighbor? So let's define exactly who is my neighbor, and if I can narrow that enough, and then we'll talk about what exactly love is, and what exactly self is, and, and we'll break this all down, and we'll make this something really manageable to, to do. And uh, that's, that's what we all do. We all reduce the rules of God down to something that's manageable, that we can do so that we can justify ourselves. And you see that in almost every religion. You know, in some religions, it's wearing a head covering. In some religions, it's closing down your, your camera shop on Saturdays. You know, and, and I, I remember I used to be involved sort of in, in, uh, in, in the South, in, in Southern folk religion, and someone summed it up to me like this. What, what does Christianity mean? It means you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't smoke, you don't chew, and most of all, you don't go with girls that do. And if and that that was it. That that was the the essence of uh of Christianity, as as someone said. But but what we do is we break the faith down into these manageable rules, and then we say, well, I've obeyed these rules, or I've done these these particular things, and so that means I'm justified. That means I'm I'm okay. I think the modern one, is I was thinking about this, the modern way we justify ourselves and justify our existence, I've found, and I, I think some of you are guilty of this, but I'm not going to name names, is, is we just talk all the time about how busy we are. Oh, I'm so busy. Because, you know, if you're busy, that means you're important. That means you're working hard. That means you're in demand. That means you're highly competent and you're very, very responsible. And so, you know, everybody's always talking about how busy we are because that's the way we validate the the fact that we are somebody because we've got all these things that we've got to do Uh, you know so so we're all breaking god's rules down into these manageable things and and uh you know and and the 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 irony is that it actually makes makes it possible for us to come to to believe that we've complied while we're missing the essence of it. Paul the Apostle, in Philippians chapter six, chapter 3, he's looking back at his life before he came to faith, while he was still murdering Christians, and he says, "...as to legalistic righteousness, I was faultless." You know what he meant by that? Is Paul the Apostle was an expert in law, and Paul had memorized all of these rules, and he lived a scrupulous life, that complied with all of the rules of legalistic righteousness, but at the same time he's running around throwing believers in jail, orchestrating the martyrdom of of, uh, Stephen, the first martyr, and doing all of these things. Because that's the irony. We we, We focus on these rules and we forget about the point of them. God's rule is simple. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself it's just the command to love and the problem is said the problem is how can you command someone to love as tim keller puts it this command requires a love that cannot be required this love commands us to have a love that cannot be commanded because once you have to command someone to love it's like uh any of you uh when when you're a kid did your your uh, parents ever say to you you know you're supposed to love your sister or, or you're supposed to love your brother. And, and you are supposed to, but, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you're just not feeling it. If <laughs> and, uh, but, but the law requires or commands a love that cannot be commanded. It requires a love that cannot be required. You know, it's simple, but it's impossible. It's reasonable, but on the other hand, it's crazy. It's inspiring on the one hand to say, well, just love God and love your neighbor. But on the other hand, it's damning because none of us can actually do that. That's the trap that the expert in the law finds himself in. But you've got to understand that Jesus doesn't lay a trap to, to destroy us. He lays a trap to protect us from ourselves and to point us back to him. Because when we realize we can't redeem ourselves and can't fix ourselves and cannot justify ourselves, when we get to the point where he said, Well the self my self-justification project has failed, then we're in a position maybe to be open to what Jesus has to say. You know, the Jewish experts in the law, one of the questions they always talked about it or and they often asked Jesus about, it was what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was the essential question. What, what does the law require? What are the rules that God wants me to comply with? And what we see here is the human project of self-justification fails, but that's why Jesus came. Not to be a teacher who would tell us what to do to inherit eternal life, but to be a way maker, to provide a path so that we could find eternal life. The the heart of the gospel message, the heart of Jesus' message, is we're not justified by our obedience to the law because we can't meet the standard of the law, but we're justified by the obedience of Christ to the law and how that can be credited to us if we put our faith. You know, most people say, well, if I could just do enough good, I could justify myself. But Jesus came to say, none of us can justify ourselves. We need to trust in him to be our justice. Romans 3, 23 and 24, you can find this in the third column in your program because we're going to use it again. But, it, but Paul puts it this way, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And all of us are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, in other words, none of us can justify ourselves, but then all who believe are justified freely by the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's why he came and lived and died and rose, was for our justification. His righteousness is credited to us, and that's the only reason we can hope to inherit eternal life. Not because you came to church on Sunday, not because you you went to the children's ministry seminar or you're trying to be a good person or whatever it is, but because of the redemption purchased by Christ Jesus, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The Gospel is that by nature, we're all guilty and condemned and powerless to rectify our situation. And, yet, by status we're just before God because the goodness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, has been credited to me. It's not anything I earned. It's not anything I contributed anything to. It's simply a gift that was given. And the purpose of the life of Christ, the reason Jesus came, the reason for Christmas when he became one of us, the reason for Good Friday when he died on our sins, and the reason for Easter when he rose again from the dead, was all to secure our justification before God. And see, here's the thing, that doesn't change the nature of things. We still find it hard to love God. We still find it hard to love our neighbors, or even our brothers and sisters and roommates and, and co-workers. But it changes our status before God because we're in Him, because the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us, because, because the... the Goodness of Christ is covering over all of our sin. And that, that's, that's the essence of what it means to be a believer in Christ. Martin Luther, the one, Martin Luther, the one who lived in, in uh, the, the 16th century, put it this way: He said, We're simultaneously justified, and sinners. That's what it means to be a gospel-believing Christian. On the one hand, we recognize that we're just before God, we're right before God, we're accepted before God, we're declared innocent before God, and at the same time, practically and functionally, we continue to, to fail. Con- we continue to fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. We continue to fail to love, love God with all of our heart, Soul, mind, and strength. So, what we see in the gospel is the greatest gift of God, the gift of Christ's righteousness, but also the greatest insult of God, the insult that you can't justify yourself. We see the greatest curse of God because God says all of our efforts are going to fall short, and yet we see the greatest blessing of God that God has given us His mercy through Christ. And so, the parable of the Good Samaritan, if we read it in these light, maybe the first thing we should do when we see the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see this generous rescue, it's not first and foremost a picture of what God wants us to do. What the parable of the Good Samaritan is for you and me, is it's a picture of what Jesus has done for us. We're not the Good Samaritan who rescues the guy who's dead and bleeding by the side of the road. We're the guy who's beat up and left for dead. And we're the one in need of extravagant mercy. We're the one in need of great service and generosity. And that's why Jesus came. The Bible says, what is the Gospel? The Gospel is that Jesus came down and suffered for us, and by His wounds we are healed. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus came and redeemed us and paid all of our obligations. What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus took the robe of his righteousness off of himself and put it on us so that in spite of our failures, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our inability, we could stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what the gospel is. He has done this for me." And when we get that, here's what I believe, is that when you get that, when you understand that Jesus is your good Samaritan, when you understand that Jesus put his robe on you, that Jesus paid the price for you, that Jesus was wounded so that you might be healed, when you understand that, something supernatural starts to happen in your life. If you really get that, if you really believe that, it bears fruit and suddenly When you see an opportunity to serve, you take it. When you see an opportunity to help someone who's helpless, you can help them. When you see an opportunity to reenact the love and the grace and the mercy that you've received, then all of a sudden it seems like the reasonable thing to do. Because see, the gospel, when it comes to life in our life, it bears fruit in our life. It changes our life, and when we receive the mercy of God, we become merciful. When we receive the generosity of God, we'll become generous. When we receive the grace of God, we'll become gracious to those around us. If we feel like we've been rescued by the great Savior, then how can we help but be anything other than a rescuer to the lost and the broken and to the hurting who are all around us? that's the sign and that's the proof of the gospel in us let's pray heavenly